I'm a software engineer. I've got a side project and I want to like, you know, put something live. I've got it local. I want to get it live. Is Azure for me or is, should I look somewhere else? This episode is sponsored by Porkbun, a refreshingly different domain name registrar with over 500 domain extensions available. Porkbun offers everything from .com and .net to .app, .tech, and .dev. Every Porkbun domain comes with lots of freebies like SSL certificates, who is privacy, URL forwarding, and hosting trials, all backed by five-year support, 365 days a year. For tech folks, it gets even more exciting. They've even launched a new AI-generated search tool using ChatGPT that is leading the change in how people search for domain names. To celebrate the fifth anniversary of .app, Porkbun is offering a .app or .dev domain name for free to Code listeners. To get your .app or .dev domain name for free, visit porkbun.com slash testandcode or click the link in the show notes. Thank you, Porkbun, for sponsoring this episode. Welcome to Test and Code. Well, welcome to the show. Um, it's kind of neat to have you here. So you're Pamela Fox, right? Yeah, that's right. Yep. Okay. That's a terrible intro. I'm, I'm out of practice. <laughs> so, so. Um, but you were recently on Python Bytes. I don't know mm-hmm. how... Somebody convinced, did Michael convince you to come on there or something? Or? He just toted at me. And <laughs> <laughs> okay. like, that's, that's cool. I, I decided I should, you know, go on more streams just so I change out of my pajamas on a more <laughs> frequent basis. <laughs> so that was episode 323. You're, um, tell me who you are and like, you know, what do you do? Uh, so I am currently at Microsoft on the cloud advocacy team, specifically the Python team. And I've only been here for maybe six months or so. Actually, no, nine months, because I basically joined and then I had my baby the the five days after. And my oh, really? baby is now, now nine months old. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it was a very quick rush to get set up before the baby came out. But did you get to take uh, time off then? I did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So, so after joining, you know, I joined, I said hi to everyone on my team. And then five days later, I disappeared for three months. <laughs> uh, and then I took some time off later too. Uh, okay. So, uh, so yeah. And before that, I was at UC Berkeley teaching Python for a year and a half. And uh, that was nice because it was, it, I never really had gotten deep into Python. I'd used it for years and years and years and years. Uh, but, you know, I just, I used it the way you use something to, to you know, build yeah. tools. Um, I didn't really get into the nitty gritty, but when you have like thousands of students asking questions, you get into the nitty gritty pretty fast. Uh, so that was, that was really fun. Um, so this and was, then in the, what yeah. level was that like introductory, like CS 101 yeah. or? Well, that's a good question because this is at UC Berkeley. So it was CS61A, and that's the first class in the Berkeley CS sequence. But uh, we usually call it a 1.5, and that it's this first class in the sequence. 
but it's really not designed for people who have never programmed before. So we we beg people to do an a pro, like an actual proper intro to programming class before they take CS61A because it is really difficult. And at least when I was there, it was somewhat the weeder course in that your grade in it would actually determine whether you could be a CS major, which you know that everything about that sucks. But uh, it was a very interesting course. To, you know, if we ignore everything about how academia is horrible. Yeah. Well, uh, at least it's Python because the the weeder course I took is was Lisp. Um, or oh, I didn't mention it was also Scheme. If you want, well, talk yeah, about scheme, scheme. That's what we did. So you did. So they yeah. still do that. Okay. Yeah. So our course is called the Structure and Interpretation of Computer Programs. So it was originally taught in Scheme and then ported to mostly be in Python. And then at the end of the semester, we would do Scheme and we would write a compiler for Scheme in Python. Well, that actually might be fun. It actually, I actually like that. I I think it's really interesting to write um, to write compilers because you get to really understand uh you know understand it more um like yeah. I, like where you do uh mu scope scheme has something called mu scope which is a different scope than we have in python and so getting to actually implement that i i think that's really interesting hmm. okay um so uc berkeley and then where'd you go there then after that oh yeah so before that um oh. i've had uh so that was my most recent but um, <laughs> I don't know what order to go in, but my first job was at Google where I was on the Maps API and that, that's where I did a lot of JavaScript but, and then did some Python at the end when App Engine came out and uh, wrote a bunch of App Engines app in Python. And then after Google, I was at Coursera where I was one of the first front-end engineers, although of course I was really full stack and our stack was, uh, was Django okay. at the time until we changed it all. And then I went to Khan Academy where I wrote uh, most of the computer programming courses that are still on the site and also was a full stack engineer and there the stack was Flask on Python. Okay, nice. Uh, the stack being the stack that you were writing that... The, oh, for Khan Academy, it was the or? stack that it was running on. Uh, the courses okay. that we taught uh, that are up there now still are JavaScript, HTML, and SQL. So Khan Academy okay. never actually taught Python, uh, but it was running on Flask. They did recently did a whole whole big project ported <laughs> over to Go. So I have okay. briefly been a Go engineer as well. Okay. All right. So uh, and before, so that's that's your career. How did you decide to get into this in the first place? Oh, Do you remember? Well. Yes, yes. Uh, well, my dad is a computer scientist and my mom is a scientific programmer. So wow. they're both pretty into computers. <laughs> they met at Caltech. So my dad was uh, working on physics at Caltech and uh, like early in the supercomputers movement. So he, he built a supercomputer called the Caltech Cosmic Cube, which is a huh. really, really cool name. And um, and he was working with like, uh, so he was actually the advisor of Stephen Wolfram and he was working uh, with Feynman. They were, I think, both co-advisors of the physics department or something. So, yeah, so he was wow. he was way into computing because that was how they could do physics calculations more, more quickly, um, especially parallel computing. And so he still does that today. He works on, does a lot of distributed computing research. Um, and, then, and then my mom, she was at, uh, Caltech and then went on to work at JPL and she would write programs for um, software, you know, for satellites uh, to, you know, go up in the air. And she, she did a lot of analysis of spectrums. Uh, 
stuff nice. I don't actually understand because I'm not a scientist. <laughs> well, I, that that just sounds amazing. I'm just coming from it from a perspective of like everybody at my Thanksgiving says, so what do you do? <laughs> yeah. Whereas the only conversations I ever have with my dad are about uh, cloud computing. He loves talking about cloud computing. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Well, I'm going to actually ask you about that also. So, um, so the, the, the role, this is perfect. So you're the Python, one of the Python dev advocates for Microsoft. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, are you, so is everybody, all the people I know, like, uh, um, I guess you don't know who I know, but Anthony <laughs> and others are, are they, are they focused on Azure or Python or is it the same thing? Or? Yeah. So our team is Anthony Shaw and Jay Miller, Sarah Kaiser, and me. So we are the Python cloud advocacy team. So if those are the people you know, we are all focused on uh, Python with Azure. Although Sarah, I mean, the thing is like, we all dabble into everything. So we, you know, we're also hoping that Python works well in viz code. And you know, we, we do a lot of looking into that and code spaces and dev containers. Um, Sarah in particular does a lot around the Jupyter experience because Sarah comes from a scientific computing background. Okay. Um, so that's that's more you know she's like the, the expert there, uh, but yeah, generally we're tasked on helping Python developers be successful with Azure services. Okay. Well, so when I I'm gonna kind of guess I jump into the topic when I I look at like the at when I like just search for Azure I get azure.microsoft.com shows mm -hmm. up and. It, and then it, even if I like sign up or something or look at, it's a little, or at least I haven't looked lately, but it last time I tried to look, it was a little intimidating. Mm -hmm. Um, and so is and it actually, I was, wasn't sure if I really should be there. Like maybe I don't belong here. Um, it feels like it might be perfect for a business, but how about, and the topic I kind of want to bring up is I'm a software engineer. I've got a side project. And I want to like, you know, put something live. I've got it local. I want to get it live. Is Azure for me or is, should I look somewhere else? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. So I, you know, when I was on maternity leave, uh, I did get really bored because babies do a lot of sleeping in the first three months, actually, uh, okay. primarily sleeping on, on me. So, um, so I did start taking my old app engine apps and porting them to Azure. And uh, I couldn't ask anyone on my team how to do it because in theory, I wasn't working. Uh, so, so, you know, I had to, I had to do, do some searching myself and figure it out. Um, so what I started with uh, was uh, app service. And that I okay. think is the most approachable um, way to get, to get started and to deploy apps. And it's the most um, akin to to App Engine. So if you're coming from com, coming from somewhere else, so I basically went through these. I found these app service tutorials and went through the tutorials and then started uh, started porting my apps over. Um, so so yeah, I think app service is is it's designed to be quite um, easy to get started, and it has code built in that understands about Flask apps and Django apps. So it actually tries to do the right thing for Flask apps and Django apps, but you can also override that code uh, if okay. you 
you have your own configuration, like your own G-Unicorn configuration or something like that, then you can override that code. But the build system, it's called Oryx. It does actually have all this code to detect Flax, detect Django, and uh, set them up appropriately. Um, okay. So I, I think that is a, a approachable for, you know, just a, a non-enterprise <laughs> software developer. Um, okay. And the pricing for that is pretty good. Um, where it does get tricky is when you're starting up, when you're adding a database, because okay. databases are more expensive than uh, than the hosting platforms. Uh, well, least, if I've got if I've got Django, I've got a database, right? Right. So that's the thing, right? If you so if you're doing Django, you most likely have a database. And uh, if you were doing just like a single server somewhere, you know, like uh, a server that you rent to the cloud, then you could use you know SQLite and just Simon Wilson, you know, big fan of SQLite. Um, and locally, of course, you could use SQLite, uh, but you can't use SQLite in the on the you know in the at least in the Azure cloud because of the file system how it's set up in the cloud because of it being um, NFS I think uh, just the way the file system is set up it's just not reliable to use SQLite so it's not it's not recommended okay uh, so that means you need a proper a proper uh, a proper database so Azure does have databases the one that I use the most option uh, often is the Postgres flexible server. Uh, but it does cost a minimum of about $12 a month, depending on what region you're in. So, so that, that to me is, could be a, dis, a decision factor for someone is, you know, are you willing to spend $12 a month on your database? It, it depends on like what level of, you know, hobbyists that we're talking about here. Right. Right. Um, okay. If you're hoping to spend $0 on the database, eh. um, but okay. uh, you know, if you're okay with 12, then then it is a nice option. Okay, so like, uh, so that the well, what's the rest of it? So if I'm paying twelve bucks for the database, do, mm -hmm. what's the rest of it? And okay, I'm gonna be like, I've told you this, but I want to be transparent with everybody else listening. Um, I have a side project. It's one of the reasons why I've been kind of absent since like last August or something like that. Um, is I'm kicking around this side project idea, so I want to get it off the ground. I um it's still just sort of in the idea phase. I've been doing a lot of research, but I do want to get it to the point where it can make a little money. And mm -hmm. for me, I think $12 a month, I can, I, that's fine. Yeah. But, but what is the rest of it? I mean, that's the database, but am I paying for the, the application also then? Um, yeah, good question. So, uh, there's this pricing calculator that I've started using recently because you can actually put in all the services and um and do the do the calculations for it um but you can also just look at the individual pricing pages the thing is that the pricing does vary on region um and i think maybe where you yourself where you live perhaps too uh, but if we look at the app service pricing um oh yes yeah, so by currency okay so like central us usd um so the thing is that there are there's different uh skews different um configurations depending okay. on how much you know how much traffic you need right so there is on app service there is a free uh, a free usage tier with like you know starting off with your free free account um, then you could go to a sheer a shared environment and they they call that for just dev and test and that would be 0 0.013 per hour um, then if you go to basic they still claim that's for dev and test but I 
I run all of mine on basic. Let me, I should double check that, but I think, I think all of mine um, are, uh, are running on, on basic. Um, there you get 10 gigabytes of disk space up to three instances. And then that's 0 0.075 per hour. Uh, so how many hours are in a month? <laughs> 730. Okay. So 730 times 0 0.075. Um, so that one says that's $54, but I haven't paid $54 for any of my, uh, any of mine. Okay. So I must be running, maybe I'm even running on free or shared right now. Um, so, you know, I think it does depend on what, you know, what's the traffic you expect. Can you do caching, right? So I put all of my things behind, uh, usually behind a CDN, right? It depends on what you're doing and whether you can do any form of caching. Uh, but the CDNs are, you know, generally cheaper because all they're doing, you know, they're just a cache. They don't have to do a lot of computing. Um, and so that that lowers my prices quite a bit. So let me just see which app service plan I'm using on my personal account. I do try to do things on my personal account just so I can feel the, you know, feel the pain of budgeting myself. Um, okay. So I am using B1. Basic one, okay, uh, but that has not really cost me very much. Um, for me, well, the that, thing that has cost has been the 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 uh, Postgres server. Okay. Well, the the um um the per hour thing is confusing to me. Is it like is that just the hours in the month, or is it the hours that it's actually getting used? Does it? Yeah, that's a good question because the Postgres server, you can actually stop it. So I actually, with one of my apps, I just it's a, an app that allows people to type in things and then see it translated into 20 languages. It's called Translation Telephone. And people were typing some horrible things. So I just, I shut it down recently while I work on a better scheme to prevent people from being horrible on the internet. Um, but I discovered that I could actually also just stop my Postgres server. And I won't be charged for it. Um, well, yeah, but I mean, like, let's say I've got, uh, I think I'm going to have users, but nobody's using yeah. it today or right, right, right. for 12 hours or something like that. Do you, do you pay for the, that also? Or, yeah. Cause, That's cause a this good is, question. <laughs> maybe this isn't the, shouldn't be the focus, uh, but it's not free, but it's not terrible if you're actually going to make some money. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a that's probably a good description. And these and these are good questions. I'm still trying to wrap my head around the pricing. And I think that's one of the hard things about um, about cloud computing is is trying to understand uh, how the pricing actually actually works. Uh, and it depends on the service. Like with some services, it is you know uh, the amount of time the service is running. Some of them is whether it's actually servicing requests. Some of them also has to do with CPU or memory. So I need to look into that more. <laughs> okay. Um, well, so that's the, uh, the app, uh, app service. Is there, I mean, is that, that, that'd be a good place to start then you think? Yeah. So in terms of options on Azure, uh, for Python developers, uh, the things to usually consider are app service functions, container apps, or Kubernetes service. Uh, so app service is our, you know, the, the thing you'd call a, a platform as a service, which does the most for you. 
um, and is the one is the thing that's recommended if you're doing a standard, you know, website where you've got users coming to the website, doing stuff on the website, uh, you're, you know, updating a database. Um, you know, functions could work well, you know, serverless if you, um, you know, have something that, you know, maybe it's a chat bot hitting up a function. Uh, you know, then you might use a function and then container apps or Kubernetes. Container apps is basically a wrapper for Kubernetes. So we recommend container apps if you're doing a microservice type architecture, but you don't want to deal with Kubernetes. And then of course, Kubernetes, if you want to deal with Kubernetes. Uh, so if you're doing a Django app, most likely you're looking at app service. Okay. Um, and so you, you mentioned Django and Flask. Yes, those are very common. But uh, an up-and-coming thing is fast API. Can I do fast API on app service? Yeah, you can. Yeah. So I was actually, I almost deployed one this morning on app service. Um, so right now, most of my fast API demos, they do run on functions. But I was talking okay. with Anthony the other day, and he actually thinks that they might uh, they might actually work a bit better on app service. Uh, just because he, he thinks there might be some initial startup time for fast API. So we actually want to do a little comparison with putting a fast API app on app service versus a function okay. uh, to, to see the difference. Um, but yeah, you could definitely put on app service. I'll probably put one on app service later today, <laughs> just for just for fun. Um, and, well, then let uh, me know what you find out. Well. <laughs> yeah. Well, what I should do is put the same one. Uh, it's, it's actually really easy to switch between the two. Um, okay. Because uh, they, they actually both run on top of similar infrastructure. So when you create them for both of them, you create an app service plan as well. Um, so they are actually both running on fairly similar Azure infrastructure. Okay. And one of the things you're looking at right now is your uh, your GitHub profile. Yeah. Uh, it's github.com slash Pamela Fox. Um, there's there's like a ton of little demo things that you've done and this is pretty cool these are so these there's you got you got flask you've got uh fast api um a whole bunch of stuff django even um and th there's a column there that's azd <laughs> what is that so AZD is this uh, CLI, the Azure Developer CLI, and it is actually going to get renamed fairly soon from what I've heard. And I don't know what the new name is, uh, but it's in it's in preview right now. And uh, I'm I'm a huge fan. <laughs> I'm like the fangirl okay. on, on the team. So that's why you see me making uh, everything AZD compatible. But the point of it is actually to use infrastructure as code in order to define the resources for your resources for your app so that you can then um, provision those resources and reliably deploy it. So it's basically, you know, if you know Terraform, it, it actually supports Terraform, right? So Terraform is how you can declare infrastructure as code. Uh, Azure also has its own language called Bicep. So I, I happen to write Bicep, um, but I should conceivably learn Terraform as well. But the point is to, to declare you know, declaratively describe the resources that you're um, that you need on, you know, on the cloud, uh, so that they can be easy to create. Well, bro, what do you mean? So let like um, the service services like you have a services column that is CDN a service that you can yeah. figure also then yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if we look at, um, so it's all the resources that you would need for your app. If you so if you were just doing a Flask app on App Service, and you deployed that, it, you would only see two things in your portal. You'd see an App Service plan, and you'd see uh, App Service. Those are two resources that you need for an uh, an App Service app. 
okay. then you start to add a database, right? So then you're going to see a database and maybe you're going to have some logging. So then you actually see this log analytics workspace. So they're all these Azure resources that you mix and max together. And that's something I actually found really different when I came from old school App Engine to Azure. Because um, with the old school App Engine, the you know before their their recent stuff, everything was bundled up. So you um, you would use the App Engine database, you would use the App Engine memcache. It was all bundled, and you would just deploy it all in one go. Um, I think these days App Engine is more of a mix and match like uh, like Azure, um, but that was that was something that was uh, a little tricky for me to understand at first. Like, oh wait, I have to. I have to decide what resources I want, and then I have to put them together. Okay. Um, and so that I so that can be a little tricky, right? Because um, uh, you know, figuring out what you need. Because if you add a database on, then you've got a database. Uh, but then, if you want to like make that database secure, like of course you should use a good you know password and IP protection, all that. But you could also add a virtual network. Um, so you know, in my bicep, I can declare a virtual network. I can declare a private DNS zone. Uh, so there's, there, you know, there's all these things, uh, a CDN, mm. these are, you know, all things that resources that you may want to, uh, may want to bundle with your app, um, you know, and by having it all declared in infrastructure's code, then you can have repeatable deploys. Okay. So you're showing me the, uh, like a file that's for one of your apps that's the main.bicep. Mm -hmm. Um, is this the easy version? Cause this, um. You said there was a CLI that made it easy. This doesn't look that easy, actually. Well, it's now that I've written it, all you have to do is type AZD up and it'll go up. So oh, okay. it, the thing that's hard is writing the infrastructure's code. And yeah, we were actually debating this yesterday. Like, do we expect software developers, you know, like you and me to be writing Bicep uh, or writing Terraform? And that's a good question. I actually don't know. I don't know okay. how many software developers are, are writing those. Um, I find it really empowering now because once I have these bicep files written, I can, you know, go to any of these apps and just type ACD up and then I've got it all deployed, even if it's you know, 10 different resources interacting inside a virtual net, right? Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I just, um, yeah, I'm glad that you have these examples up because if I try this, I might want to use some of your examples. Yeah, so like here's an example here, which is this is actually the one I would point you to because this is a Postgres server um, that does not have a virtual net because you may not, you know, it's it's up to you whether you think it's necessary to have virtual net level security because that also is going to increase your cost. The th other thing you could do is, you know, um, use the most recent Postgres, so, so like 14, and then, um, you know, use firewalls to only allow Azure IPs uh, or only allow your own IP. Um, and, uh, and that might be secure enough for you. Uh, that's your decision to make, but this particular bicep declares a Postgres server, um, with that firewall rule declares an app service app and then an app service plan and an analytics workspace. And that's it. Um, so it's a hundred lines of code. Uh, it's already written. Uh, so you could just take this and, you know, make some customizations if you want to change the Python version, if you want to change the environment variables, if you want to change the startup script. Okay, but those. okay, but this would uh, like do things that connect my, make it so that my app can see my database and things like that. So, yeah. Neat. Mm -hmm. neat. 
and uh and then there's a azd up something that can or you know the the script yeah. formerly known as azd yeah so if you just install the azure developer cli and then and then you just use the command azd up what it does is uh it looks at your infrastructure files it figures out what resources you want to provision and uh does the provisioning and it only creates things if they're not there already right um and it updates things if they need updating and then it will bundle all your code up together whatever code you tell it to to deploy and it will actually you know upload that to the azure servers so that your app is ready neat so my code's on my computer now it's in the cloud no it's not in the cloud yet or the services are uh when you do az up it's doing provisioning and deploy okay now do i do that again when i make changes like to my app or? yeah you can do you can do azd up you can also do azd deploy if you know that you haven't changed the infra at all you could just do azd deploy and then it's not going to even you know look i just do azd up because i'm lazy and i know that it's just going to skip over the resource creation if it's the same uh, okay. but you can also just do azd deploy and that will just do the the deployment stage okay and if i've got like database migrations that's a completely different ball of wax right yeah that's a good question i was actually talking about database migrations yesterday with with anthony so right now we do that in the startup script so that each time you deploy um so here this is a flask app break in the startup script i run flask db upgrade but i think realistically if i was doing this in production app i would probably um i would probably you know deploy the new schema Right, so you always deploy the schema first, not you know the the changes to views, right? So deploy the new the new schema, um, and then go you know uh, go to the portal page on Azure, go to the SSH, so you can SSH into your app, and then I would probably just run it manually from SSH. That's okay. I think what I would do. Um, but uh, then we, we were actually debating what the, like, you know, what the strategies are for, for uh, upgrading. So I'm curious what other people do there. Okay. Um, and I, you know, the people listening aren't going to be able to see the stuff we're looking at, but um, the, the individual pieces don't look too terrible. So I'm glad that there's some examples to look at. And I'm sure that there are other places that people can find some examples, but we'll, we'll link to the, your um, Flask DB quiz example for people <laughs> to look at. Um, so, um, and so that's pretty cool. And so I got my idea. Now it's up, and after I do AZD up, I assume at some point Microsoft will send me an invoice, or I've already set up my uh, credit card probably with them and everything. So yeah, uh, it'll it'll be there. Um, but um, so what do we need to worry about? And you you mentioned security a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. Since I'm going to assume that I don't know about security. I mean, I, I know that it's the word and I, that I should care about it, but for like, let's say I'm not, I just kind of want it to stay alive. <laughs> uh, what's the minimal security that I should care about right away? Do you, do you I, have an opinion? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, if you're doing a Django app, you should follow the Django best practices. So you want to like configure the the um, you know the CSRF and the allowed hosts. Um, so I I always do that in the in the configuration, right? Um, so in the configuration, I only allow the host name that's deployed, um, and you also want to generate the secret key if you're doing any sort of user login. And actually, 
this particular repo doesn't follow that best practice, but you should. So on production, you know, setting up the allowed host, setting up the secret key and um, generating those correctly. So following Django best practices, right? That's what you should be doing when you have okay. a Django app anywhere. Um, and then, uh, and then the big thing is the database, right? So can somebody hack into your database? How secure is it? So uh, I typically always have SSL mo mode required, which is good. And then using the most recent version of Postgres 14, that's a good thing to do because it has um, some security improvements. And then using a properly random password, so like 30 character randomly generated, uh, you know, not password with funny symbols. Um, and then setting up in a firewall, uh, you know, so that's, you can either set up a firewall or, and or a VNet, but if you're, you know, trying to be minimal about it and about costs, then, uh, you know, setting up a firewall so that uh, you can you can have it so it only allows Azure IPs. Uh, so that's that's a pretty good level of security. Um, okay. You can watch, Anthony has a, a great talk I watched um, from CitusCon last year about hacking into Postgres servers using the little hacking tool he wrote. Uh, so uh, you could run that hacking tool and see, <laughs> see if, if it can get in. in. Yeah, it okay. tries to get, uh, you know, guess a lot of, uh, a lot of passwords. Um, so th that's pretty good. And well, you could also run these tools in the um, portal so that will give you recommendations on security. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Sometimes I follow them and sometimes <laughs> I always follow them. So the, um, one of the things you brought up was secrets is that I assume there's like a secret service that I can use also to store things like passwords and things like that. Yeah, there is, it's called Azure Key Vault. Um, and so I do use that in, in most of my recent stuff that I do, I do use that because it's actually, it's pretty cost effective to stuff, to put stuff into Key Vault and there's built in support for app service to grab things out of Key Vault. So okay. it works really well, um, to, to store secrets into Key Vault. Okay. And then, uh, do you like bring it into an environmental variable or something or how does that yeah, it's so it's built in that app service has a way of um, let me see if I can pull it up. But uh, app service has a way where in your environment variables, you can either type in the value or you can tell it to reference a secret. Okay. Uh, it's called a secret ref. Um, so, uh, yeah, I have to find it. Well, like you, that, but... you had like a, a Azure API key or something like that. That's what, and then, and any. I mean, I think a lot of people that are, uh, so one of the, I had to <laughs> figure this out not too long ago when uh, setting up deploys from from GitHub to PyPI, for instance, because mm -hmm. um, you, you get your secrets from PyPI and you stick it in a place in GitHub and then they know about each other. So. Yeah. Yeah, so I would recommend Key Vault. Each of the different Azure services have slightly different ways of working with Key Vault, but it's generally, uh, there's generally a good way of storing stuff in Key Vault because then you can do secret rotation and that sort of stuff. So at the bare minimum, you know, put it in environment variable, but even nicer is to put it in Key Vault because then uh, it's, it's, it's harder to compromise, right? Uh, you, okay. you have to go through a fair amount of effort to actually see the value, right? With environment variable, you know, it's, it's they make it easy to see the values of environment variables because that's something you might want to look at. But with a secret, you know, you have to click and say like, yeah, I really want to see it. <laughs> so it's generally better to, to store stuff there. Now, the 
you one of the things that I was impressed by is well, I mean, you're kind of in it, you're living it, and you can do things really fast. So how how fast when you're when you're if you had to uh, like come up with a new demo for something I, uh, aside from the figuring out how to do it in the first place, how long does it take you to get it live from not live? Um, yeah, it depends if it's, if it's an infrastructure I've done before. So if it's infrastructure I've done before, then it's quite easy, right? So this weekend, um, I wanted to make another example of container apps with CDN. Uh, so I made this, uh, API using the API Flask framework that outputs charts using matplotlib. And, um, and that was actually, you know, so it basically just took me the weekend and by the weekend i mean just my baby's nap times on the weekend right because that's <laughs> that's what i'm working yeah. on stuff um so uh and so there like the infrastructure was our i didn't have to really change the infrastructure at all it was it was already there um so i was just learning api flask and um uh, this okay. schema thesis library for testing so if it's an, an existing infrastructure then it's you know it's easy i'm just copying over files uh if it's a new infrastructure you know, it depends if there's something that's not straightforward about it um, or that's not supported by Bicep or the Azure Developer CLI. And there are a few uh, things like that um, that okay. might be a little more complicated or like, I, you know, if, it depends how many services you're involving. So I'm also working on, uh, if you know Django Cookie Cutter, have you seen that? Uh, I have not particularly, but I know Cookie okay. Cutter and yeah. Django. So there, there is a Django Cookie Cutter repo and it's quite popular. And... I am working on adding Azure support to that to see. I don't know if they're going to accept my my change, but you know, I wanted to see if it was possible. Um, and so that's been the most involved template I've made because that involves, you know, it involves the database, but it invo also involves um, storage for uh, media uploads. It involves um, Redis for both the Django cache, you know, decorators, but also for Celery because it has okay. Celery built in. Uh, so that's definitely the most involved template that I've wow. made, and uh, I want it to be really nice. So I'm I'm not done with that yet because you know, I really want to refine that and make sure I'm using all the services well. Uh, okay. So sometimes you know things might take time if it may you know if I'm trying to um, use a lot of services or just really shore it up. And now this might be a dumb question, but in the end, I've got something live it's got some random ip address or something i assume mm -hmm. um how do i connect my thing my cool domain name that i registered to yeah. the live thing yeah good question so i i do i run pamelafox.org uh off of azure uh as well as translationtelephone.com so they're both running off of azure so azure has custom domains and uh sometimes i define that in bicep but it's actually easier to do that one manually um, so let me see uh, how I set that up. Um, right. So, oh yeah. So <laughs> I have my over way over engineered personal website with a zero container app plus a CDN in front. Um, so I, I am going to rewrite this to be a static web app. But um, so we set that up, and then you connect it to a custom domain. Um, so for CDN, the CD, CDN just has a thing on the left-hand side, which is just says custom domains, right? Okay. Um, uh, so each of them, where it makes sense to have a custom domain, they, there's a way to do it. So it depends what you're connecting to it. So if you're connecting to the app service directly, um, let me get my app service one up. 
how did I do that? Custom domains. Yeah. So they both, I just go to custom domains on both of them okay. and, and, uh, and set it up. Um, I think it did take the DNS caching took a long time on PamelaFox.org for some reason that might have to do with my particular DNS registrar. If you're doing a, a whole new domain from scratch, then, you know, that should be fine. But <laughs> DNS yeah. caching can be pretty annoying. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, be patient. It, it, I've never had it take yeah. too long lately. I mean, I've had things. I remember back in the day having to wait till the next day or something like that for things. to Oh, show I, yeah. Up. I feel like for some reason, PamelaFox.org took a long, it felt like it took a long time. I don't, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. It may be dependent on the browser too. Maybe on, you know, we use a pie hole. There, there's a lot of things that could be affecting it. But I'm a I'm an impatient person now, so I'll like hook, <laughs> hook everything up and then go check it like minutes later and go, it's not up yet. What's going on? Uh, <laughs> well, maybe uh, it tends to work faster also if it's a brand new domain, right? Whereas I was trying to repoint it from Google to Azure. Okay, yeah, maybe. But um, well, neat. Now, am I overthinking this? Is or is this kind of the stuff that people should be thinking about when they want to go live? Um, is there, is there stuff that I haven't thought about? Uh, I mean, so one thing I would do, you know, because you talked about security and that's something you should look into, but also looking into budget, right? So I would use the pricing calculator. I would also set set up a budget. And that's something I've done on my, on my personal account um, because, you know, I want to try stuff out, but I don't want to be spending a lot of money on my personal account. Um, because this is my job. I'm supposed to get paid for it, not pay for it. So in Azure, somewhere in Azure, you can set up a budget. So I have a budget of uh, just $16 a month. So if I ever go over $16 a month, <laughs> which is like a fairly low bar, uh, then I do get a notification. And that's a good reminder for me to go in and check to see what I'm, you know, what I'm spending, uh, you know, spending money on. So I can look at okay. the, um, you know, the charts and, um, and get a feel for, um, for the cost. So you can do that pricing calculator ahead of time to try and preemptively not spend too much. Um, but then you should definitely be checking in on that budget because this is real money <laughs> and be checking to see, uh, you know, how much is it that you are uh, actually spending? Okay. Interesting. <laughs> I mean, like I got like my database is taking 12 bucks a month already. Right. So yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, um okay well that's that's pretty cool and i i i i know that you're able to spin things up in a weekend probably an average human the first time what am i looking at probably uh you know it, it's hard to tell but maybe a week to of like a couple hours a night working on this i can maybe get a, a site live or is it going to take way less than I, I mean, our hope is it takes less than that, but it's a great question, right? How much how much friction is there? I actually yeah. did I did a test uh, in October where I tried to get a container app going on Amazon, Azure, and Google, and I actually recorded myself the whole time uh, so that I could share the experiences because we wanted to see what the experience was like across them and like you know what where the frictions are everywhere, yeah. and um, <laughs> and so it you know roughly. In the end, like each of them only took me a couple couple hours to get through their, you know, their respective tutorials. Um, but but those were like spread over a couple of days because, you know, sometimes you like run into a wall. Right. Yeah. And you're like, oh, this doesn't make sense. And then you just have to walk away and then you come back the next day and it's all OK. 
Yeah. <laughs> Suddenly, right. It makes sense. So, oh, I didn't see that button there. Yeah. It's, yeah. Right. So uh, there's like how much time it took you of actually doing stuff and then whether, you know, there's something popped up. Um, I mean, one thing you could do, I would probably recommend just doing this. Um, the um, There's this article on deploy Python Postgres UL app uh, to Azure. It's, yeah, there we go. Deploy a, a Django or Flask web app with PostgreSQL and Azure. So I would recommend going through that tutorial first because in theory, this only takes like 30 minutes. Okay. <laughs> um, and I actually did just update the um, the article today. I don't know if it went live yet, um, but um, I would recommend going through this tutorial first because it's going to give you a feel for, uh, you know, parts of the portal and stuff like that. Um, so okay. it, it's a nice, like gentler introduction before, you know, try, trying to start with your own app. Your own app has like complexities and edge cases, right? So you don't want to deal with the edge cases uh, first. Do a toy that's, example that, first. Yeah, that's what I would generally recommend with maybe anything <laughs> is to, you know, to wade into, wade into it first with something that is supposed to work. Oh, that's a and, good idea. And then, and yeah, and then have a, a go and, um, and I'm happy to point you at, uh, you know, infrastructure files, if that's the route you decide to go. Okay. Now we kind of brush back, brushed by container, but there are quite a few people that are now used to working with containers a lot. So they're even developing their own stuff as a little container on their own machine. Uh, and then what does that look like in this situation? Does that mean that, that my, my Postgres and my Flask and everything is together in one container or, or do I have like multiple containers with Flask and or the database in one and. Uh, yeah, that's a good question. So with app service, uh, by default, ye, it's just going to get a bundle of your code and it's going to take care of setting up containers in the cloud. Right. Um, there is an option for app service called bring your own container. Well, at least that's what we call it. <laughs> that's the official name for it. Um, but um, there is an option where if you do have you do have a, a Docker uh, image. You can you can point at that Docker image, and then it won't try to do any fancy build. It's just going to use it's just going to use your image and throw it on the you know uh, make container from it. So um, so that's another option. So it, it, you know if that's something you're into, um, I don't I don't think it's I don't find it so necessary to do that okay. because. It, it's already a fairly repeatable, I found it to be fairly repeatable deploy experience. Um, but if you did want to have a little more control over, you know, because I was saying like this build process tries to do the right thing. If you wanted more control over that, then you could just say like, well, here's my here's my image. It does the right thing, right? Yeah. Um, but you would still get all the advantages of the app service scaling. Right. Uh, and all, the, you know, all the all the ways it works that is designed to be good for a user facing website. Um, so that's definitely huh. something you do with containers. The other thing you could do is is your container apps. Um, so, uh, yeah. So you were asking, like, oh, are you putting everything in one? Um, so if you were doing like an app on Azure container apps that had a Postgres database, uh, I use Docker Compose locally for developing that, but then when I deploy it onto Azure Container Apps, 
uh, I'm just deploying the Docker file for the Python app. And then I'm having that Docker app communicate with the managed Postgres service from Azure. Okay. Because then I'm getting all the benefits of the fact that the Postgres team has put in a lot of, you know, expertise into running, uh, you know, this, you know, highly redundant available um, Postgres in the cloud. And so I don't have to manage that myself, uh, you know, and, and figure out what that's like. I think you could also, if you wanted to, you could alternatively, um, you know, deploy a Postgres image on uh, on container apps and communicate with that. I haven't done that myself, um, okay. but it, it seems like a possibility. It's a good question as to. I don't know if it's a good question or not. Like. It's just, uh, I don't, do these things stay together? Or? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I tend to use the managed services. No, I know there's people definitely who, um, cause I'm going to giving a talk at the Postgres conference, CitusCon, and they asked me to specify whether I was going to talk about the Postgres managed service or about running Postgres on Azure VMs. And I told them I've never done the latter. So, so <laughs> I'm, I'm talking about managed service. So I, I've, only, I've used the managed service for Postgres. I've used it for um, Redis because there's Azure Redis. Uh, so I tend to use the managed services. But for all of those, in theory, you could also be deploying, uh, deploying the Postgres image, deploying the Redis image, you know, on container apps or Kubernetes uh, or even VMs and, and using them that way. So I, I think it depends on how much sysops you want to do. <laughs> I don't want to do any, but right. That, exactly. That's why I use, <laughs> <laughs> that's why I use managed. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, when you brought up Terraform, I'm like, I know that that's a word. Uh, <laughs> okay. Good to know. But... <laughs> I mean, I, but I swear it's like really cool. So I'm also giving a talk at Python WebConf where I'm going to be talking about about AZD, but really just about how much I love infrastructure as code. And I, yeah, I, you're right. I also did not. I knew Terraform was a word, and I remember interviewing someone when I was like CTO of this uh, chatbot, and and they were talking about Terraform, and I'm thinking to myself like, I really should learn Terraform. I really should learn Terraform, and I never, I never did. But now, now I love it because it's just repeatable deploys. I love repeatable deploys. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Um the, the okay, and the a lot of what we're talking about really is this gap between so I go and somebody has like a a tutorial on how to how to do an application in Django or how to do an application with Flask or FastAPI or something. And I go run that and I go, "Oh cool, it's kind of like what I want to do." So then I go and modify it for the thing I want to do and it's running on my local machine. Now go from here to live is this huge it seems feels like a huge hurdle so um so that's this doesn't look this doesn't feel too terrible now so thank you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it still feels a little scary um yeah but yeah but not too bad uh cool well uh thanks a ton now i'm, I'm gonna hopefully include a bunch of these links if i remember them uh in the the show notes and uh hopefully get this out soon so thanks so much for your time today sure yeah i'll send over those links and if people have questions you can just toot at me <laughs> toot at you uh we'll <laughs> leave a mastodon link too for you then as well <laughs> cool thanks <laughs>